Hello, everybody, and welcome to your live event today. Uh, my name is Eric Weinkoop, and I'm the Director of Culinary Instruction. And I'm also one of your chef instructors in the courses. And uh, I want to welcome you to my office hours. This is your chance uh, to ask anything you'd like that's related to food and cooking, or at least I ask you to limit your questions uh, to the domain of food and cooking. And uh, if we can you know, avoid straying into questions that pertain to medicine and, uh, and dietetics, that would be very much appreciated. Um, but uh, it's my chance at the same time to do my best to provide uh, some feedback, some recommendations, some guidance, some conversation uh, around the various topics that all of you introduced today. And uh, you know, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. And I'll start with the first question and work my way down the list, all right? And from Carol, uh, I'm very curious about oil-free cooking. Are you saying oils are never used to saute or roast veggies in the oven? Um, thank you, and I'm very new to this. Thank you, Carol, and I appreciate your question. This is a fairly common one that comes up, and you know, I'll say that um, you know, uh, this is really directed to those of you that are uh, in the plant-based courses, and um, this question comes up quite a bit among the Forks Over Knives students specifically. And let me address this broadly, okay? So, uh, you know, in the Forks Over Knives course or that uh, approach to eating, uh, there is uh, an emphasis on omitting added fat to your cooking uh, for the health of it, okay? Um, however, we have students that are sort of are entering this plant-based way of eating from very different places. Now each each person's story is unique and I you know I, I, I love uh, hearing about them and I respect everyone's starting point. And you know with that in mind, you know we have students that are ready to go, uh, you know cold turkey on the added fats and uh, you know 100 percent, uh, fat uh, added fat free and, and others uh, are going to ease into it and so you're going to see some recipes that uh, are oil free uh, you might see some that have uh, a little bit of added fat um, now it's going to be up to you right to figure out where you are on your journey and how you want to approach the cooking course and how quickly you want to make changes to your diet in this uh, this lifestyle. Okay, um, I, I'm going to say that uh, in our plant-based courses, we have lessons that will walk you through the process of uh, sautéing and, and sweating without oil, as well as roasting without oil. Those are the the, the couple of, of primary cooking methods that we use. And uh, so you'll learn the technique of doing those without added fat, all right? Um, I mean, otherwise, take it at your pace, you know, based upon your personality, as well as the desires and needs of those that you're cooking for, all right? Making big changes very quickly can be difficult for some people. And, uh, you know, as we all know, I think when it comes to New Year's resolutions, uh, many of those are kicked to the side after just a matter of several weeks because they're difficult to adhere to. So, uh, you know, do be reasonable 
and don't be hard on yourself. Uh, if you're comfortable going uh, 100% added oil free from the get-go, all the power to you. But if you feel like you want to take steps along the way by reducing your oil, first, I think that's perfectly reasonable. Okay, it, it, In the end, it's not up to me uh, to... Uh, to provide advice, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's certainly not up to me to judge what you're doing. It's totally up to you uh, to figure out the solution that works, okay? And um, so, uh, Carol, give that a try, give that a thought, see what works, and make adjustments along the way. All right, thank you. All right, uh, next up from Annalise. Uh, hello. Uh, I'm a busy mom. Do you have any tips on how to meal prep or plan your meals during the week? Uh, you bet. Um, you know, the first principle and maybe the, the, the guiding light here is what we call batch cooking. And uh, especially in our plant-based courses, we touch upon this concept. And uh, the, the premise of batch cooking is to cook uh, or, you know, prepare staple food items and whatever that means, you know, is going to be uh, unique to your situation. Uh, it could be a grain, it could be a, a bean or a, a lentil, uh, it could be vegetables. Uh, but the idea is to prepare those staple items um, in larger quantities at the beginning of the week. And for a lot of people, that's going to be on a, say, Sunday afternoon, looking ahead to the Monday through Friday work week. And uh, then to draw from that, uh, that inventory throughout the week, or it could be just two or three days uh, worth of cooking that you do, it's going to be up to you. Uh, but the idea, again, is to prepare your staple ingredients in larger quantities so that you can more quickly uh, compose uh, uh, dishes uh, when mealtime comes. And, you know, if you've got uh, two or three or four staple items that you've prepared, you know, you can easily uh, change the seasonings, uh, the flavorings, you know, via fresh herbs or spices, as well as the condiments and other sauces that you might use uh, to create different flavor profiles and different dishes that can be uh, enjoyed uh, as a bowl, so to speak, uh, or in a wrap, you know, to make a taco, uh, or in uh, you know, added to a soup or a stew. And so there are different ways then that you can create uh, very different meal experiences, but using uh, the same uh, three, four, or five, let's say, staple food items. And, um, you know, sometimes we will cook that staple food um, uh, 100%. You know, for example, if it's a grain, you know, go ahead and simmer it until it's cooked to the degree of doneness that you want, uh, and then drain it and store it. Or you can even store it in its liquid. That's fine. Um, if you're wondering what the difference might be, give it a try both ways and do some some. Uh, comparing and see what works best for your situation. Okay. Um, other times we might par cook an item or partially cook an item. And this is where we might, um, oh, it, it could be blanching, but often it, it is par cooking, let's say a root vegetable that we then will finish at the meal time by sauteing 
um, or maybe steaming. And um, that, uh, you know, uh, provides us a freshly cooked item as it comes out of the pan. And so, again, it's just going to be a matter of for you to think about uh, a few items to get started with. And then from week to week, you can change those staple items, you know, as you try out different recipes or different preparations in the coming week. All right. So I hope that's uh, helpful for you. Thank you. All right. The next question uh, concerns jackfruit. So can you tell me some ways to use canned green jackfruit? Okay. So uh, jackfruit in particular in its uh, green or unripe state. Um, and, you know, very often it's going to be canned. It's a, a convenience product that's available these days. Um, is used as a meat substitute because of its texture. Um, uh, you know, jackfruit, once it's fully ripe, takes on a very different personality. It's, it's soft and it's uh, sweet and, and uh, aromatic, uh, like a tropical fruit, and uh, is more aligned with desserts uh, or as a snack. Um, but if you are using the green and unripe version, then uh, you will, you know, whether it's a fresh product or a, um, a canned product, you'll want to cook it by simmering and then uh, break it down uh, to, to tear, tear apart the pieces uh, into, into fibers or little fibrous uh, bundles that start to represent um, or, or mimic the look and texture of pulled meat, pulled pork or pulled chicken, for example. And, um, you know, sometimes it's, it's uh, broken down into these little strands and, and bundles first before simmering, but other times that sequence is reversed. It, it's not a big deal. Again, uh, try it both ways, see what might work for you, okay? Your degree of cooking, your simmering, uh, is going to be until the uh, product is is tender and comfortable to your palate. And often that's about 10 minutes. Um, it might be give or take a little bit. So keep an eye on it. Taste it uh, along the way uh, so you can pull the product off the fire and strain it um, at that um, point when you think it's going to be best for you. All right. Now, the next step is to flavor it uh, in a way that will align with however you might want to prepare it. It could be a, a barbecue pulled pork sandwich that you prepare, uh, or it could be a Korean flavored stir fry that you make um, or something else. So, you know, think about the flavor profile that uh, you would like to impart. And, uh, you know, it could be a wet marinade. Uh, it can also be, um, you know, something that is uh, more on the dry side, a pasty side. It could be, you know, a, a dry spice-based blend that you incorporate. And then give that uh, several hours to, uh, to, you know, to marinate or otherwise for the jackfruit to absorb those flavors. And then you can move forward with uh, finishing that in the pan, you know, to, to heat it up. Uh, you can put it on a sheet pan, uh, put it in a, an oven, and roast it in order to uh, crisp up the edges a bit, maybe introduce a, a touch of caramelization, and then you know to, to mimic some of the textures and deeper flavors that you might be expecting uh, in whatever preparation that you have in mind. Okay, so that's the basic uh, 
process for handling green jackfruit. All right, thank you. All right, and we got a question from Toki uh, who says, uh, I'm not worried about protein, but many are obsessed about it. What is the focus for creating healthy, balanced meals on a whole food plant-based diet? Um, all right. So, yeah, I guess the, the first one is a comment. And, uh, you know, I'm in the U.S. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, culturally, you know, here in the, in the United States, uh, there is a strong emphasis on protein intake each day and at every meal. And, um, you know, according to a lot of folks in the, the uh, uh, health and, and uh, wellness and, and food space, there's an overemphasis uh, on protein intake. In other words, uh, there are uh, it's estimated that uh, a lot of Americans consume more protein than they need to. And, um, you know, in fact, when it comes to, um, you know, some of the um, studies that, uh, that correlate, uh, you know, with a dotted line, um, you know, animal uh, food intake, animal meat intake, let's say, and uh, the incidence of cancers, uh, it's it's via the protein that this becomes a concern or uh, a problem, and um, so you know according to uh, again uh, some some doctors out there, some others uh, in the medical space, um, to consume a, a little bit less protein would be fine, um, but that's again something for you to determine based upon your individual needs. All right. Um, so, uh, so what's the focus for creating healthy, balanced meals on a whole food plant-based diet? And the, the premise here is going to be variety. Uh, it's not only uh, desirable from a health standpoint, but uh, downright enjoyable. Uh, if you're eating a lot of different ingredients uh, that you put together in different ways to make uh, a large array uh, of dishes. And uh, so that's really going to be the key. And then, um, you know, all ingredients, all foods provide amino acids. And amino acids are the building blocks for protein. Our, our body does that for us. And uh, on, a, uh, on an animal-based diet, uh, you're getting all of your amino acids, in, in particular, those, those essential amino acids, the nine uh, that uh, our body doesn't make um, and that we need to get from food. Um, and uh, whereas in the plant-based world, you find that a given food item will not provide the full array, the full complement of amino acids. Um, with a uh, few exceptions. Um, therefore, it's necessary uh, to eat a varied diet so that we get these, these different compositions uh, of amino acids from different foods that come together in our body. And our body has its, in, its own intelligence, you might say, uh, to deal with those nutrients um, and rearrange it in a way that uh, is necessary for the body. Okay, so variety uh, is going to be the key here. Thank you. All right, uh, next question. Uh, any suggestions when using dried reconstituted mushrooms so they aren't rubbery in texture? Uh, I cook them in a risotto per the recipe. Uh, you know, in my experience anyway, uh, 
rehydrating or reconstituting dried mushrooms does result in a, a different texture, right? It's one that's a little tougher, a little chewier, a little rubberier, some would say. And uh, if that's a texture that you don't like, then consider a couple of things. I mean, one would be to cut the reconstituted mushroom into smaller pieces so that it's more tender and then also less noticeable. Now, another approach is uh, while the mushroom is still dry to grind it to some extent. And you can, you, and it's going to be up to you uh, to choose the coarseness. You can take it all the way down to a pretty fine powder and then add that to your preparations to get the mushroom flavor. Uh, and of course, the texture will be uh, something different. Okay. And I hope you'll give that a try and see what you might like. Thank you. All right. And okay, the next one from, from Amy, uh, who says, hello. Hello, Amy. Uh, I'm enrolled in the professional cook course, and I'm wondering if Ruby has a recommended reading list. And do you have any books that you personally recommend? Um, you know, I don't have offhand a list aligned with the professional cooking course um, of, of titles, but I can share uh, some thoughts, okay, um, from my personal corner here. And, uh, you know, one is um, there are uh, uh, a number of books uh, written by Michael Pollan over the years. And, you know, I would recommend uh, anything um, by Michael Pollan. I think they're, they're good reads and, you know, they're insightful. You know, he talks about um, science and uh, culture and society and, um, you know, other aspects of food, you know, beyond cooking. Uh, and then also there are a few titles by a, 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 a pair of authors, um, Karen Page and Andrew Dornenberg. So Page and Dornenberg, um, uh, the, the Flavor Bible, uh, as well as the Vegetarian Flavor Bible and others. Um, are penned by those two, and they're good. Um, they come from a restaurant background, and so they have uh, that sort of an approach to uh, some technical aspects of handling food, and they can be very informative if you want to sort of push your knowledge and your, your skill set down uh, a, a deeper path, okay? I mean, otherwise, you know, what I would share is that... Um, yeah, because there's so many books out there and uh, so many books published each year on some aspect of food. And I, and I, I use the word food broadly here, okay, that um, I, I encourage you to think about what aspect of food, and it, it you know, could be an aspect of cooking, of course, like preservation, uh, or it could be um, history and, and culture or, you know, something else about food that interests you and to just do a search and, you know, see what you come up with and uh, check out some titles. Um, I always reach for my uh, uh, local public library first uh, before I buy anything. And uh, so I, I always suggest that for, uh, for you uh, and other students too. All right. Thank you. All right. And thank you, Patrick, for posting some links to Michael Pollan, to uh, Karen and Andrew, and also uh, Kenji Lopez-Alt, uh, who is um, 
a, a favorite author of mine. He's with the Serious Eats uh, web uh, food blog, and I recommend uh, checking that out. All right. Next up from Brian. Uh, hello. Uh, what is one tip or trick for plant-based chefs you wished you learned earlier in your career? Um, you know, I think that um, very generally, and this ties into one of the earlier questions, is that um, cooking from plant-based sources is really freeing uh, in a certain way um, because you don't need to have an emphasis on a, on a, on a limited number of sources of, of protein in this case. I'm thinking, you know, animal cooking, right? Um, where whatever we produce, um, people want some sort of an animal-derived ingredient as one of the main items, certainly on the, the main course plate. You know, we, we refer to that in the industry as the center of the plate. And that term connotes a, a cut of animal meat. And, um, you know, in the plant-based world, uh, you know, anything goes and, uh, it's, in a way it's very, very fun because you can bring in so much more variety, which we should be doing, um, you know, throughout a menu that you might compose. And I think it's, um, it's just, it's that perspective, um, that, uh, is liberating in a way it's, it's fun. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, it stimulates a lot of new learning and, um, some fun conversations as well. And, um, you know, maybe not a, a tip or a trick per se, but, uh, you know, just a different perspective. All right. Thank you. And uh, next up, another question from Annalise, who says, what are liquid aminos? Any brands you can recommend? Um, you know, liquid aminos um, uh, is or, or uh, you know, constitutes a, 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 a seasoning um, that uh, is also uh, used as a condiment. And it's much like soy sauce, or often compared to soy sauce in its look, uh, in terms of its dark color, uh, as well as its uh, umami and its saltiness that it lends to food. Okay, um, you know, liquid uh, aminos. The the couple of types that I'm familiar with are based on either soybeans or coconut, and the common brand that I see is Bragg, B-R-A-G-G. And uh, of course, there's a lot more information online if you want to dig a little bit deeper into liquid aminos. Thank you. All right. Next up from uh, Yasmin. Uh, I had my first assignment last week. I was surprised that I got a full grade, even though I thought I didn't perform perfectly. So my question is, what should we focus on in the future assignments? How difficult and challenging are they going to be? Ah, so this is uh, an interesting question, perhaps the first time I've received the, uh, this particular question. Um, you know, in our opening assignment, in probably all of our courses, we take it easy on you, all right? It's really uh, an assignment uh, uh, to give you a chance to familiarize yourself with our platform, and um, it's a chance for us to see that in your response, whether it's photographically, uh, or through your text description, that you have touched upon the different elements that we requested. And it's a chance then for, for me and, and others on our instructional team to provide feedback in a very gentle environment uh, in this first assignment 
Um, and you, as we might give pointers on lighting for your photographs um, or you know, to include more description uh, in your text, um, for example. Okay, so we grade uh, rather gently uh, on the first um, assignment in particular, but otherwise, as you move through the course, uh, you know, really, uh, it's going to be, you know, I'll say, first of all, up to you, okay, to in, engage at a level um, that, uh, that, that challenges you and to, uh, uh, that's at a level that, um, you know, you want to be at, right, in terms of what you want to take away from the experience. Like any other school experience, okay, what you put into it, you will get out okay, of the course and the experience. And, you know, as far as feedback is concerned, um, you know, we'll provide feedback uh, if we see um, areas that um, are lacking, of course, uh, as well as, you know, sharing some experience or maybe something to try out uh, the next time you uh, experiment, experiment with a particular uh, cooking method, okay? And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, for us, it's not about the points. It's not about your grade, whether we give you 100% uh, or we deduct a bunch of points. Um, it's about your learning. And it's about your demonstration of confidence and competence uh, in these various areas that we cover. Okay? And, you know, certainly, uh, if you have additional questions about what you prepared, you know, feel free to ask a question either in the assignment um, or, you know, you can reach out uh, via support at ruby.com and we would be happy to uh, respond, okay? And, uh, you know, on the note of asking questions, we have, we have two, um, aside from asking questions embedded in your assignment response, we have two main avenues. And the first is the Q&A function that you'll find at the bottom of each task page. That's intended to ask questions that are general in nature and uh, that other students would benefit from. If you have a, a unique question, a more personalized question that pertains to your situation, please reach out to us at support at ruby.com. Thank you. All right, next up from Patricia. Uh, since oil is something we're trying to avoid, is vegan mayo something we should eat. Ah, so, um, you know, as a continuation of the earlier response in today's program, it's going to be up to you. So veganaise, right, or these um, vegan mayonnaise sort of products are based on oil. Uh, and uh, it's going to be up to you to decide if you want to use that or not. I personally, I don't mind uh, if you use the product. Uh, but I want you to be satisfied with whatever uh, results that um, you're after, okay? So, you know, this um, brings me to um, a point where I'm going to spend maybe a minute or so and um, you know, talk about this idea of developing a food philosophy. Um, you know, many of us have a religion, right, or some sort of a spiritual guiding light that that helps us through tough times and um you know helps us deal with with questions and conundrums and you know i think when it comes to food uh which for me is a big deal and, and um i think it's a good idea that we develop a personal food philosophy and one that will help us 
move through these difficult times and, and challenging questions like, shall I eat vegan mayonnaise? Um, it's an individualized question. And, uh, you know, it's not one that I can answer for other people, but I'm certainly happy to sort of talk about it and to uh, uh, maybe encourage you to think more about it. Okay. But think about what you value, you know, um, in terms, you know, whether it's your health, whether it's the place of origin of a food item, the way it's processed, you know, what it is you want to put into your body uh, from a processed food standpoint uh, and maybe other considerations uh, and then go forth and compile your shopping list. All right. Thank you. All right. Next up. Uh, the question is, would having the certificate aid me in getting a job in this field? Um, so what I'm reading here is, um, would a certificate of completion um, of a Ruby course, you know, be helpful in getting a job in the restaurant industry, perhaps, is, is what I'll read into this. And, you know, I'll say that um, it can help. Um there are many people who want to enter the restaurant industry or the, the food industry in, in, uh, in some fashion uh, with no experience at all. And uh, they're going to knock on a back door and fill out an application and uh, ask for a job. And if you're standing right next to that person, and let's say um, you don't have any experience, but you do have uh, the educational credential of having you know, finished a course of study and you have a certificate of completion to show, then, I mean, arguably, uh, you would have a leg up on the person next to you, okay? I will also add that, um, you know, regardless of whether one has a certificate of completion in their possession or not, uh, and regardless of what school they graduated from or what program they completed, it will come down to that individual's personality and their work ethic uh, as to um, you know, whether they get the job and how long they keep the job. So will a certificate of completion uh, aid you or, or um, you know, benefit you in some way? I would say it would, but again, uh, there are other variables at play here. And a big part of it is gonna be you and, and, and the core individual that you are. All right. Thank you. All right. Next up from Kelly. Uh, is it going to be a problem in the Plants Plus course that I don't cook uh, with salt, oil, and sugar? No, uh, not at all. That'll be totally up to you. Uh, we have, uh, as I mentioned earlier in today's program, uh, a beautiful array of students. And uh, some are, um, you know, using a little bit of salt or no salt, some oil, no oil, you know, et cetera. And, and uh, every situation is unique. So it's all about you um, learning to cook uh, in the way that you want to cook and, and to enjoy the food that you prepare. And um, you're going to find that the majority of our practice recipes, you know, may call for, you know, some salt or some oil or some sugar. So it's going to be up to you to experiment, to start to cut back on those ingredients to a point where um, they're satisfactory to you uh, or to eliminate them entirely and then to start to you know, introduce other um, flavorings or aromatics uh, that will provide satisfaction to you from 
the palate standpoint as well as the olfactory standpoint. So smell and aroma, right, become very important factors. So uh, you're thinking about fresh herbs and spices and vinegars uh, as categories to begin with, okay? And um, it's a journey. So, uh, you know, have fun with it. Um, you know, the idea of uh, our Ruby courses is to give you those uh, foundational building blocks, to give you insight, to give you confidence to be a better cook. And then it's going to be up to you to run down the path the rest of the way. All right. Thank you. All right, Pamela, uh, cooking utensils, non-coated or non-toxic coating. Is there a difference? Where do you purchase safe cooking pots and pans? Uh, okay, so let me um, uh, think about this for a couple of seconds here. So cooking utensils, um, you know, if something is coated and the claim is to be a non-toxic coating, uh, it's going to be up to you, the consumer, to do your due diligence um, to come to a, a comfortable place, um, you know, between you and the utensil. Okay, before you buy it. Um, if an item is non-coated, um, then I, I see. So, you know, one of the concerns could be that you might have some elements of the metal that leach out into your food, especially when it bumps up against acidic ingredients. But, um, you know, we, let's just say we talk about stainless steel uh, items. Stainless steel is fairly non-reactive. Uh, you know, with, with uh, most food items. And uh, there's, there's certainly different qualities of stainless steel. And, um, uh, you know, there again, it's going to be up to you uh, as a consumer to do your due diligence, uh, to read consumer reviews, and then to find the product, uh, the quality level of which is going to meet your needs or your expectations. Okay. Um, you know, if, if things are coated in some way, there's a good chance that over time that coating will start to come off. That's been my experience anyway. And uh, so when it comes to cookware, uh, as an example, I consider any coated cookware to be a disposable item because sooner or later, uh, for example, a nonstick surface will accumulate what I call micro scratches and will become a stick surface. And you'll need to or want to replace it. And it could be a matter of months, it could be a matter of years, but that day will come, at least in my experience. Um, so I avoid nonstick uh, coated you know, cookware. Um, in terms of where do I purchase safe cookware? You know, I, you know, stainless steel is very easy to use. It's, it's easy to clean. Um, it takes bumps and, and uh, bruises, so to speak, um, and, and still uh, looks good. And, um, you know, go to whatever store um, is going to carry the brand uh, that you're opting for based upon the due diligence that you have performed. Okay. And um, uh, go forth and enjoy cooking. Thank you. Hello, Ken. Uh, if I wanted to use bulk black beans in a recipe and I wanted to infuse with cumin during cooking, would I use toasted or non-toasted seeds uh, or ground? 
Um, you know, there's a uh, you can go in any of these directions, and there isn't a wrong answer. It's really just a matter of um, what your preference is. Um, you know, if you're using a ground product, whatever it is, uh, it's going to have greater surface area. Therefore, it will impart flavor faster and, you know, arguably, you know, stronger, perhaps, in certain ways. Um, you know, and also grinding a food like spices will release certain constituents in a different way than whole, uh, the whole food or the whole spice will. And so there, you know, there can be some, some subtle differences in the result uh, of foods prepared with whole spices versus um, ground spice. Sometimes they're, they're not subtle. Sometimes they're much more obvious too. Um, so I would encourage you uh, to do some experimenting. Um, set up a set of beans, you know, a pot of beans with ground cumin, uh, one with coarsely crushed cumin, and one with whole cumin, and then uh, test out the finished results and see what you like. All right. Thank you. All right, next up from Susan. Uh, vegan diet fats, are they really better than animal fats? What is a good substitute uh, to get a crisp on, uh, oven and frying. Um, so, you know, regarding vegan diet fat, so, um, um, plant-based fats, but okay. Vegan. So probably processed in some, well, let's just say processed plant-based, uh, um, fats versus animal fats. Um, you know, in terms of the better, again, you know, that's something that the consumer gets to decide. Um, you know, the word better, right? It just sets, sets up a subjective uh, comparison. And um, I mean, if you're talking about uh, better for health, that goes beyond the, the, uh, the scope of our discussion today, which is to focus on, on uh, food and cooking. Um, and I would direct you toward a dietitian or a, uh, a doctor of some sort who, you know, might be able to, to talk about that. Okay. Um, you know, uh, in terms of flavor, well, that's going to be up to you. I mean, uh, there are folks that uh, really enjoy pork fat, for example, and wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Um, and so there are, you know, we recognize there are differences between these two categories of fat. Um, but it's going to be up to you to figure out, you know, what you want to uh, consume or, or cut back on or omit, okay? And uh, in terms of getting uh, crispy food, um, when it comes to, you know, oven and frying. So number one, frying implies uh, a, a medium of fat, usually oil, um, to get you there. Okay. And, um, that's going to give you a nice crispy result because frying is a dry heat cooking method. Okay. But it's a pretty intense one as the oil draws out moisture from the food item. Okay. And, and the result is this dry surface, um, and that gets very crispy. Um, now the same thing with, uh, with oven cooking something, you, you know, with a relatively high temperature in the oven, you can start to mimic some of the effects of frying, at least on the, uh, just on the surface, um, you know, of your foods that are coated in oil in the oven. 
And, you know, this is where perhaps using a small amount of oil uh, can give you satisfying results, you know, while cutting back on, on the calories and, and other factors that um, you would get from a greater amount of oil, okay, added to your oven roasted foods. Um, again, you have to decide on what that balance is for you. Okay. If a crispy texture is very, very important, then maybe you compromise and you add a small amount of fat, finding a, a, a happy middle point that works for you. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, if you insist on going 100% no added oil, then you need to make the compromise in texture of foods that maybe you previously enjoyed in, in a in a more crispy fried format. Okay. And those are, those are some of those tough questions that you get to deal with related to your developing food philosophy. Okay. Um, another thing to, to keep in mind here is that you can always have a little bit of a fried food item once in a while, if you choose to do so, uh, you know, you don't need to torture yourself if that's the feeling or the experience that comes out of this. Um, don't beat up on yourself. Enjoy food. Enjoy cooking. Enjoy the camaraderie and, and all the other goodness that we should be associating with the food that we eat. All right. Thank you. Uh, next up from Mandy. Uh, Plant-based for people in rural cold climates where produce can be very limited at certain times of the year. What is your opinion on indoor growing systems and quality taste of produce? Um, go for it. I mean, if uh, again, if, if that's uh, the answer for you, if the answer is between not eating something uh, and eating something and you want to eat it, then, you know, you got to you got to do it right. You got to um, use a new technology. Um, maybe there is a, a little difference in flavor. So I would expect there to be some difference in flavor, um, you know, between uh, an item that was grown, say, hydroponically versus an item that came out of the earth, um, because you're picking up different elements, uh, you know, aspects of the terroir. Um, when we talk about soil and it's the place, uh, it's whatever else, uh, you know, in terms of, of the mineral content, for example, um, that's present, that's being drawn up through the food, and that uh, you may not get in a, in a let's say, a hydroponic setup. So um, it's, uh, I don't have any problems necessarily with the flavor of foods that are produced in indoor systems, um, but I sometimes notice differences uh, in the in intensity of flavor, for example. So it's going to be up to you, however, to judge whether you like that or not, whether you can tolerate that or not, and whether you will do that or not. All right. Thank you. Uh, from Lily, uh, any advice about how to take good pictures of food plates? <clears throat> um, well, uh, I'll say that in a, a couple of our courses, you know, um, the pro plant course is one of them that comes to mind. We do have a, a lesson uh, on photography basics and, you know, um, a, it's focused on smartphones, of course, and, it, and, and all the functions that come along with that. And, um, you know, I'm not a food photographer, so I am not going to um, 
act like I am here, but uh, you know, I will say, take a look at some of the functions that come along, you know, with the owner's manual of your phone, and do some experimenting, um, you know, with that, you know, whether it's a a, a portrait sort of a setting or or something else, and some of them have food photography settings these days. Um, you know, take pictures, you know, with these uh, different settings and then compare them uh, so you can understand what the results might be. Okay, there certainly could be times when you want to take a, a food photo, but you don't want to use an automated food uh, setting, uh, for example. Okay, um, so I'm just going to kind of let you go um, uh, and, and experiment in that respect. But if you're not in our pro plant course, for example, go ahead, I tell you what, go ahead and write in at support at ruby.com. And, uh, you know, we can direct your question um, to somebody that may have more experience in this area. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Next up from Monica. Uh, could you please explain why soy curls, what soy curls are and how to cook with them? Um yeah, I mean, soy curls, to the best of my knowledge, are going to be made from, you know, uh, some sort of a, a soy protein, all right? And I don't know exactly what the processing uh, of that food is, um, but, um, you know, based on soy beans, okay? And, um, you know, often some of these uh, components are, uh, are leftover uh, after pressing oil out of seeds, okay? And so often it could be a byproduct of the soy bean oil industry. Um, these protein and fat, um, um, uh, you know, the, the, the stuff that's left over then is turned into another product and sold, okay? Um, and so that's going to be sort of the gist of it. You can always jump online and drill, drill deeper into a product like this. Uh, and how to cook with them, um, you know, a, a soy product, kind of like the green jackfruit, is going to take on flavors that you add to it. And so in my experience, these, uh, you know, soy products, curls or otherwise in terms of shape and, and size, um, can be aligned with a lot of different types of cuisines uh, as you add the flavors of your choice, okay? And then, you know, otherwise follow the directions uh, for the cooking, you know, in terms of imparting that flavor, um, very often through uh, a moist heat um, method in order to marinate or otherwise impart the flavor. And then you can finish that off with a dry heat cooking method. Often it's sauteing or roasting, for example. Thank you. All right, next up from Archana. Uh, hello, uh, I am part of the plant-based eating class. As we should not be using oil, is it okay to use coconut milk for some Asian dishes? Um, you know, the quick answer is yes, totally up to you. You know, I will say that, you know, if you're working with a graded assignment um, to please stick with um, sort of the, the, the base procedure, okay, associated with that assignment. So in other words, the cooking method that's going to be emphasized. Um, and um, so that we can see and understand your, under, your, your comprehension of the process, all right? In other words, um, 
if coconut milk is added where um, maybe the base recipe isn't calling for it, sometimes the coconut milk can cover up the details that we need to see in an assignment, okay? But outside of that context for your daily cooking, it's totally up to you, okay? And, uh, you know, give it, give it a try. If you want to use just coconut fat or if you want to use coconut milk, um, you know, give it a try both ways and see what works best for you. All right, thank you. Um, and Lily is asking, how many years have you been vegan? Lily, I'm not vegan. Um, I am uh, an omnivore, although I would say that um, something in the neighborhood of 90% um, of my diet is plant-based. Um, you know, we'll go a long time here at the house uh, without eating anything from an animal. Um, you know, enjoying, you know, as I've alluded to earlier, the uh, beautiful array of, of plant-based dishes. And, um, uh, you know, when I do eat plant-based uh, and, and, you know, at home when we, when we do that, we are doing our best to emphasize whole food ingredients. And uh, I, I don't align myself with veganism per se, um, which for me, okay, going back many decades, um, when, you know, veganism uh, emerged, it was very much aligned um, with politics, the politics of eating, and very much aligned with animal rights and the protection of animals. And um, uh, not that I ignore that, um, but that, um, you know, was never right, uh, uh, like my sole focus. And, um, and another part of the, the vegan um, sort of approach to eating over the years is that because um, uh, initially there was this focus on plant-based ingredients simply to move away from animals that many of the ingredients have been highly processed ingredients, frankly. And I'm not a fan, uh, if you're asking for my personal opinion, okay? I'm not a fan of highly processed foods and whether they're plant-based or not. And um, so when it comes to cooking, I align with a, uh, you know, rather than vegan cooking, you know, plant-based cooking. Uh, with an emphasis on whole foods. Um, there's, there's a whole discussion we can get into regarding what whole food plant-based means uh, because it can be very difficult, if not practically impossible, to do like seriously full-on 100% whole food plant-based cooking. At least, you know, that's going to be the case for uh, the vast majority of us. Um, so we do our best. And, uh, you know, I do my best to emphasize whole foods uh, at each of my meals and to avoid processed foods and, uh, you know, you know even, even vegan processed foods, which are no better for you than animal-based processed foods or, or anything else out there that is unnatural and arguably more difficult for your body to assimilate. All right. Thank you. All right, next up from Marion. Uh, any suggestions on how to stop the discoloration of food when using an inexpensive expandable steamer basket? 
the food that rests on the basket turns gray. Um, so the thing that I do uh, is to uh, use some sort of a, a leafy item, you know, like a piece of cabbage or lettuce uh, as an underliner. And I will sacrifice that item uh, by then putting um, the, the main item to be cooked on top of that. All right. Thank you. All right, Christine, uh, plant-based eating class, grocery list. Some dishes serve three to four. Some dishes do repeat. Uh, I can freeze some. Don't want to waste anything, especially fresh fruit and veggies. Ideas other than recalculating uh, to fewer servings. I'm doing the class alone, one serving per dish. Well, you know, the other thing that comes to mind really is to invite friends over and family over and, and share some of those meals. Um, I mean, otherwise, you know, you've, you've uh, uh, mentioned the two things that uh, I would suggest, and that is freezing as well as cutting back, you know, on the amount of food that's prepared. Um, you know, giving away or sharing the meal would be the other, you know, the third uh, item that comes to mind. Thank you. All right, next up. Um, I understand that making things by hand is best, but there are so many alternative vegan options. Are there specific things that you should look for and avoid for a whole food plant-based lifestyle? Ah, so yeah, you know, I love this question and really uh, it dovetails with what I've been talking about today in response to some of the earlier questions. And that is, it's really up to you and the food philosophy that you embrace. And um, this idea of a food philosophy is so important because um, if there's one thing that we do most frequently in our lives, it's eat. And, um, you know, we've got a philosophy for almost everything else. Um, you know, why not food? Um, yet so many of us have really haven't um, thought deeply about our relationship to food, the environment, the farmer, food processors, quality of food, quantity of food, place of origin, and so many other aspects of the bigger food picture, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the question, I should say. Um, so, you know, when it comes to alternative vegan options, as I just mentioned in the last uh, question or two, um, know that there, many of them are highly processed, and uh, they're no better for you than any other highly processed foods. And so think about that and what it is that you want in your long-term health. Um, uh, you know, ar arguably many of the conveniences that have been introduced to our lives are not that good for us, certainly uh, not in abundance. Mm. And so a better life uh, often takes more effort on our part. And so again, you get to find that balance that works for you. Thank you. All right, next up. Are there any recipes using pumfu, uh, organic pumpkin seeds? I'm not a fan of tofu. Okay, so uh, yeah, pumfu, uh, as I'm familiar with it, uh, I've never used it, okay? Um, but it, pumfu is short for pumpkin tofu. Uh, and it's a tofu-like product that's based on pumpkin seeds. And, um, you know, my familiarity is that you can use it like tofu. And so I, I encourage you to give that a try. And, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, whether it's making a scramble of some sort, 
or a stir fry uh, or adding it to a soup or a stew or something else, um, you know, as you would tofu. And, you know, if it's the, the flavor of tofu that you don't like, but the flavor of pumfu that you do like, uh, then a very, you know, quick one-to-one -one substitution is going to be the quick answer to begin your path of experimentation. All right. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Uh, and next one up again from uh, Toki. Uh, I made some vegan Swedish meatballs uh, using lentils and mushroom recently, and they were not holding well under pan frying. I used flaxseed and panko bread crumbs as a binder. Uh, any suggestions on what to use next time to keep them together? Okay, so, um, you know, uh, without knowing all the details, a couple of things come to mind. One is, um, you know, avoid adding any fat, any oil, because, you know, fat is a lubricant and it will make it uh, difficult for uh, the binders to bind. Okay, so in this case, your you know your binder is coming from the flax seed, um, you know, as well as uh, you know the bread product that's going to be wet, uh, and then um, it's going to act as uh, as a binder to to hold that together. Okay, now otherwise, you know, uh, try increasing the amount of flax seed to get a little bit more strength, um, you know, from that that sticky quality. Um, and then also uh, to minimize the liquid, the water, liquid as in water, right, from the lentils uh, or possibly mushrooms, um, because water also adds as a, acts as a lubricant and counteracts the binder. Uh, the next thing is to uh, cut mushrooms and other ingredients small or small enough that the whole thing binds easily, okay? Because large pieces also act against the function of a binder, making it, making it more difficult to hold together, all right? So give those things a try. It's going to take some experimentation on your part, um, but your answer is going to lie in there somewhere, all right? Thank you. Next up. Uh, I like pasta, but in my area, it's difficult to find gluten-free pasta other than just spaghetti. Uh, how would you determine best when buying a pasta maker uh, would be cost-efficient? Um, so, you know, whether a pasta machine is going to be cost-efficient to you, you know, is I mean, it's really, it's going to depend on, you know, how frequently you uh, you really crave pasta. Um, you know, we don't make pasta very much at home, but we have a pasta machine because we like to make pasta when, um, you know, that, that urge comes. And so, you know, one's consideration is going to be very different, but, um, I mean, if, if, um, you know, gluten-free pasta is something that you enjoy a lot, you know, you might start out by, by hand cutting your pasta. So, you know, a pasta machine isn't necessary. Um, you can roll out the pasta uh, and then hand cut it with a, a large knife, with a chef's knife. Um, now, sometimes we might have a limitation on, on the rolling that we can or can't do with a rolling pin. 
in which case, you know, a machine, a pasta machine um, may be necessary in order for us to produce the pasta that satisfies that need or that craving. Okay. Um, so think about it. If you have the space to store a pasta machine that you might use once in a while, um, if you've got the budget, you know, to, uh, to buy uh, a pasta machine, you know, they, they, you know, depending on what brand and what size you buy, what kind you buy, it, it uh, can be a few hundred dollars, um, you know, or something less expensive. So look at your options, look at your situation, think about your pasta requirements in your own diet, and then uh, go forth. Thank you. Uh, hello, Steve. Um, I recently replaced my old Teflon coated cookware with green pan, healthy ceramic coated pans and stock pots. The instructions say a small amount of cooking oil should be added to the cookware when using. Uh, what uh, to do now? Um, well, um, so uh, by your question, I'm guessing that your expectation is to go 100% free of added oils. And um, I mean, if that's the case, um, you know, uh, go ahead and, uh, and do um, oil-free sweating, which is at a lower temperature. And then, you know, you can also find, I think, some happy medium of an oil-free saute following the Ruby method. Um, excuse me just a second. Okay. Um, you know, I, any coated pan, um, I would avoid heating too much. All right. So when we show in our courses the oil-free saute uh, using stainless steel cookware at a pretty high temperature, that's going to be too high for any coated pan. But you can sort of mimic the results at a lower temperature, but you'll need to experiment to figure out what's going to work for your pan. Okay. Um, coated pans generally don't brown as well as an uncoated pan, stainless steel, you know, in the case of, of uh, the, the um, discussion here. Okay. Um, otherwise, use a touch of oil and, and um, if that's acceptable to you and find, you know, some sort of a middle ground you know, that will uh, get the job done for you. Thank you. Uh, Alexandra, hello. Um, I had a question in regards uh, of using certain alcohol ingredients, such as sake or wine. Is it a must to use those ingredients in the tasks asked to complete our recipes for grading? No, it's not. Um, it, we have, uh, as I mentioned, a beautiful array of students, and uh, uh, many of them don't use alcohol for a number of different reasons, and um, that's perfect. And so the, uh, the deal is to simply omit the alcohol, um, or if you'd like, you can look for a non-alcoholic version if that's acceptable to you. Sometimes it, it is for folks, and sometimes it's not. Um, now, you know, understand that what we're getting from an alcoholic beverage as an ingredient is the flavor. And, you know, know that if you omit or substitute something else, that the end product will be a little bit different than the original. 
Okay. And, you know, there's not necessarily a, you know, it's not a, a right or wrong issue. It's just a matter of you understanding that it's going to be a little different. Okay. Now, in the case of replacing wine, if you wanted to mimic the flavor of wine, then see if you can find verjus, V-E-R-J-U-S, uh, which is the juice of unripened grapes. And it's going to be acidic and it um, will have uh, a grapey flavor and you know, somewhat reminiscent of wine. Wine goes through some different transformations as it ferments, but uh, verjou can often get you pretty close. And uh, it's acidic and not sweet. Um, and so you're getting the acidity that's imparted um, from many cooking wines, okay? Um, verjou is sometimes available from wineries and it's sometimes available from, from other food sources, other, other grocery stores. So just look around and see if you can find that. Um, you know, most sort of standard grape juices tend to be very sweet, and I would not recommend that as a substitute for wine, okay? Um, the other uh, choices, again, just simply omit it and just move on with cooking, okay? Um, when it comes to sake, uh, you know, just to omit it, providing you're not doing a lot of Japanese cooking, you know, um, maybe I'd have to think more deeply about the, the flavor that's, that's missing from some Japanese preparations, but, but not, not a big deal in all of them. Uh, just omit the sake, move forth and see how you like the preparation. Okay. Um, in a lot of the recipes that I see, you know, the alcoholic beverage, um, uh, is such a, a small amount that, um, you know, omitting it is not um, going to be the end of the day. Uh, so, so just give that a try and see how you like it. Thank you. Uh, oh, and, and I, I guess going back to your question, Alexandra, in assignments that are graded, um, do make brief mention, one sentence is fine, um, as to, you know, your substitution. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and next up, um, steel and aluminum and iron leach and iron. Okay. Alzheimer concerns. Glassware also, uh, toxic with cadmium, other heavy metals. Can Ruby team recommend best quality glass made in us or Canada? Uh, we can't find reliable glass pots or pans uh, with due diligence. Um, I don't know uh, of, of, you know, any cookware that might meet your requirements. Um, you know, you keep on looking, I guess, you know, in terms of maybe a group, an association out there um, that looks more closely at this uh, concern and uh, see if you can find some like-minded people, maybe on social media uh, that have found success uh, in sourcing some cookware that would be a very specialized product, a very specialized brand um, that would fill this rather narrow niche um, of, uh, of cookware needs or, or demands, I guess. Okay. Um, you know, interesting question, um, but I don't have uh, any sources to share with you. Thank you. Okay. And uh, the last question of the day is from Ken. Uh, one more question. Uh, I like baked kale chips. I tried making them by placing them in a mixing bowl and adding balsamic vinegar, 
tamari, and nutritional yeast. If I find the kale in this recipe uh, to be too bitter, what I what might I omit or add? Okay. Um, well, let's see here. Uh, yeah, start with the vinegar and and see where that takes you in terms of, of cutting back or, or or omitting. It just it depends on the nuances of each of these ingredients. Okay, some of them have more prominent sweetness. Some of them have more underlying um, acidity uh, and, and bitter notes. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, also, uh, you know, kale itself, depending on the type of kale and the maturity of the kale, can also have some pretty strong um, bitter notes, um, you know, in which case you, you know, might want to increase uh, some of the sweet uh, components that you add, you know, whether it's um, uh, a, a type of a balsamic vinegar, you know, a particular style of balsamic vinegar, um, you know, or even a little pinch of brown sugar, perhaps, or uh, or jaggery uh, to, to balance some of the bitterness, okay? Um, so while I don't have a specific answer for you, because there are um, all, all of these ingredients you mentioned, including the kale itself, are variables. So there's enough moving parts here that I'd have to, you know, just isolate one by one and then experiment. Um, and, and I hope you will do that too. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, to all of you, you know, I hope that uh, you will approach cooking uh, with an open mind and with an open heart and to be prepared for experimentation uh, to find the, the, the best way forward to meet the expectations uh, of your palate and those, you know, uh, 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 you know, that you cook for. And, um, you know, I look forward to answering your questions again next time. Uh, and until then, happy cooking. Thank you.